0: Bay Area Panthers pod,
1: part of the 95.7 The Game podcast network, where you'll find analysis, news, notes, and more about the Bay Area Panthers of the Indoor Football League. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Randy and Evan Giddings. What's going on, everyone? Episode 6 of the Bay Area Panthers pod. My name is Evan Giddings. I'll be joined by my broadcast partner, Mark Grandy, in just a little bit, as well as the Bay Area Panthers president, Scott McKibben. We are here after the Panthers fall for a fourth straight game, this time to the Bismarck Bucks in 76-46 to fashion. That was on a Monday night at SAP Center. And obviously a tough one on paper looking at the box score, but me and Mark will get into the positives Some of the takeaways from the game as far as what we saw that was good. Also, some of the things and some of the trends that we've now had five games to sort of uncover. Still a small sample size across a longer season that goes through July. And again, still plenty of games left throughout the season. Five more opportunities for you to get out to SAP Center. But we'll discuss some of the things that we've seen that are maybe a little bit troubling that have led to losses don't necessarily need a ton of tweaks in order to potentially turn around and turn into wins. We also discussed the impact and effectiveness of kind of the the recruiting pitch that a lot of the players have been given by the Bay Area Panthers front office. And we talk about really some of the cool things going on with the Panthers, both on the field and off the field, as well as how they have affected the community around them thus far in their inaugural season and the work that they're doing to try and further that effort and grow the fan base as the IFL has come to the Bay Area, an opportunity to see football in the summer, an opportunity to see competitive football, an eight-on-eight eight in a game that, again, despite the 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 losses so far for the Panthers, the brand of football is absolutely electric and one that you really have to be there, to I think, to sort of understand just how quick and how physical these amazing athletes are playing at such high speeds. So we get into all of that, but uh, joining us now, president of the Bay Area Panthers, Scott McKibben. Appreciate you joining the podcast.
0: Well, good morning, and uh, thanks for having me. I do appreciate it.
1: Well, obviously, a, a tough loss last night for your team, Game 5 of the season in Week 6 at the IFL, a loss at home at the SAP Center to the Bismarck Bucks. What, what is sort of the message that, as the president, you try to exude to the rest of the team, to the franchise, and, and most importantly to the fans after the team began the season 1-0, has unfortunately lost four straight? What's the What's the message right now, Scott?
0: Well, the message is, uh, you know, we're a first-year team. It is it is an expansion team. And, um, you know, we're building a roster. Uh, unlike a lot of our opponents in the league, um, you know, not to make excuses, but this is the first year that all of our guys have actually played together. So this is going to be a slow, upward learning process for us. Um, I mean, you want to be patient, but you want to be in a hurry to get there, Right. <laughs> And um, and so, you know, we're conveying to our guys, look, at uh, stick to the plan, keep working hard. Things will get better over time. Obviously, if things don't improve at the level that we would like to see them, the coaching staff will make the appropriate changes. But, um, you know, this is no time to get down. We're only five games into the season. And, uh, you know, we, we played a really pretty decent football game in the first half yesterday up until the last 40 seconds. Uh, you know, it's 31-31 with 40 seconds to go, and we gave up a couple of quickies at the end, and not only did that 14 points, I think, hurt, but the momentum shift was, was the thing that I, I believe probably hurt more than anything, but um, no, we're, we're going to just continue to, to work hard, uh, keep looking at our roster, trying to uh, find the right combination of guys that uh, that can get the job done
1: no plenty of time left as you mentioned in the season five more opportunities for fans to come out to s a p center and see the Area panthers and what has been a very exciting brand of football in their inaugural season Scott McKibben with us here, president of the Bay Area Panthers. You mentioned some of the, the changes that, that need to be made or per- perhaps down the line could be made. Well, we saw one prior to this week in the offensive coordinator being let go and then head coach Kurt Bryan taking on some some more play calling duties. But I, I'm curious, from a front office perspective, when there are changes like that that happen internally how are those decisions made from your side? How tough is it? And how do you go about implementing that in order to create hopefully a better outcome throughout the rest of the season?
0: Well, first of all, you know, you hire head coaches to make these decisions. Um, and obviously, Kurt and I work closely together. We, we spend some good time talking about this. And, um, you know, Terry uh, is is a wonderful guy and a really good experienced coach. And I just think that uh, at the end of the day, it came down to a fit about just exactly what Kurt was trying to get done on the offensive side of the ball and the direction Terry wanted to go. And Kurt's background is very strong on the offensive side. And um, so he just came to the conclusion, and sat down with me and said, you know, Scott, I, I think I need to make a change here. And, um, you know, about the best thing, a a front office person in my role can do is listen carefully, assess the situation, and then, um, then support your guy. And, um, you know, we made it early enough in the season, uh, that we're going to be able to see whether the changes we have made will in fact provide us the level of improvement that we're looking for. So... All in all, we spent good time talking about it. You support the guy, and um, and and we'll see where it goes. I I thought that um, our offensive play last night was uh, was was improved, and um, you know hopefully we'll continue to see that through the balance of the season.
1: Absolutely. 46 points, a season high for the offense for the Panthers, despite the loss. And we've talked about some of the the first-year difficulties. I want to get into some of the first-year successes for the Panthers. What, What has surprised you about I don't know if it's the the brand of football in the IFL. Obviously you've been a part of sports, you've been involved in media, you've been in a lot of involved in a lot of projects throughout your career. What has been some of the pleasant surprises of this first season and what has been, you know, obviously a, a difficult year to get off the ground in, but the Panthers have had some successes. How would you identify those as the president of the team?
0: Well, you know, I think the pleasant surprise has been how well and, and, and frankly, how smooth it has gone. After having had to take a couple of years off because of a pandemic, and then, as you know, we originally were going to be the Oakland Panthers, and um, it became very difficult with all the things that are going on up in Oakland with the with the Coliseum and with the arena and that property, where the owner and I had to make a choice, and that was to move the team. And in theory, we really didn't move the team per se. We practice in the same place. We house our guys in the same place. We're just playing in a different building that's, you know, 25 miles south. But that required name changes. That required rebranding. Um, that required a lot of changes with the field, with the logo, with the designs. It required going in and redoing contracts with our media partners, with, with with your radio firm, with the television people. And so that has gone, to my surprise, smoother than I thought it might, only because, you know, a lot kind of got whacked out of shape and with the pandemic and, and all of that. And that's gone better than we thought. Uh, the other is um, the reception of the former Sabercat season ticket holders has been most encouraging to me. We have a, we have a lot of fans. If you're at our first three games, uh, our attendance is not where we would like it to be, but it is probably about where we thought it would be only three games in. The game's been well-received by the fan base, and a number of these people were fans and folks that, that supported the Sabercats in the past. They love indoor football. It's exciting. It's family-affordable entertainment. We're playing in a world-class arena. A world class venue, you know. There's not a lot of things that you can go to at the SAP Center for twenty five or thirty dollars for a ticket, and sit in a great seat and enjoy all the amenities of the venue. So, you know, there's been a lot of good, positive things to come out of the year, and 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 I and I think that our roster continues to mature and grow each week as we make some transactional changes. Uh, we've got better athletes. And, and better players. So that too has been a positive trend for us.
1: Episode six of the Barrier Panthers pod. Evan Giddings here with president of the Panthers, Scott McKibben. You discussed the, sort of the, the, the pitch to fans and the, the family fun, the, the affordable family fun. How do you recruit players? Because we, we discussed yesterday at the game how sometimes it, it's a little more challenging despite being in a bigger market, maybe more attractive market from a bird's eye view, there are some underlying difficulties being in a place like the Bay area. What are some of those challenges when you're trying to bring in talent as you move forward, whether it be through the season or in the off season, uh, trying to get better?
0: Well, keep in mind that recruiting is, is a bit like college here. I mean, this is the wild, wild West. Um, Unlike the NFL, There are are no drafts every year um, and so on and so forth. Players come in, they sign a one year deal. If they re sign up and stay on with their current team by October the 1st, they stay with that team. But if they don't and they decide they'd like to look at other things, um, we can recruit those guys. So we can recruit out of college. We can recruit people that are currently playing with another team that we think might really be a good addition. Um, there's just a number of ways in which we can we can bring new and better players on uh, throughout the season. Now, recruiting here, it's a wonderful market. It's a top-five media market. Lots of exposure. Um, the climate is terrific. I mean, the climate, no offense to Bismarck, North Dakota, but (laughs) the climate's different between the Bay Area and Bismarck, okay? And athletes look at that. Uh, They take those things into consideration. One of the things that we sell hard to our players is life after football. You know, most of these guys, this is going to be their last stopping point. There are a few that will take a shot at the USFL, they'll take a shot at the Canadian League, there's even a few that'll take a shot and make it on a roster for an NFL team. But the reality is the numbers are are very, very small. So at the end of the day, these guys that are 27, 28 years old, who play maybe four or five years with us, when their football playing days are done, they now have a chance to be in a market where they can connect, they can reach out, they can develop relationships with people for other things that they're going to want to do with their life after football. Mm. And, uh, and probably the, the, the more challenging part of recruiting players here that makes it difficult for us, those were all the things that we sell as, as being really, really good and positive, but cost of living here is high, Okay. Um, it's it's expensive to be here. And, you know, again, I'll use Bismarck, North Dakota. I mean, you can live for a whole lot less money in Bismarck than what it costs to live here. Uh, so those are some of the challenges that we face. But all in all, um, you know, the great market, the media coverage, the film and the tape, the clips, the life after football, there's a great story to tell to come and play here. And, you know, we try hard to tell that story the best we can. No, and
1: that's that's amazing to hear that you guys consider both the individual as well as the athlete in each and one of your players. We're talking with Scott McKibben, president of the Barrier Panthers here. And, uh, of course, you can hear all the Panthers game all season long on 95-7 the game. What originally attracted you to being a part of both the ifl as well as the panthers i mean you you can see as a fan when you're watching at sap center just how exciting the brand of football is but of course being in the front office there's a lot more that you have to deal with so what what sort of brought you on board initially and how are you enjoying it five weeks in
0: well i'm having a heck of a good time I, i i wish i had a couple of more wins in my pocket but i'm sure that we all feel that way um you know Going back um, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, when, when I was in your business, uh, in the media business, uh, running a metropolitan newspaper in the market here, uh, we were a sponsor for the Sabercats. And so I had a chance to spend a good bit of time going to a number of those games and seeing it. And I thought, you know, this is, this is really an exciting... I had never heard of arena football before till we went to watch a Sabercats game. And I, I kind of caught the fever. And, um, and so in 2019, when Roy Choi uh, came to, to me to visit at the time, I was the executive director and CEO of the Coliseum Authority over in Oakland. And we were looking for a tenant to replace the Warriors, and, and Roy had come up with the idea that he wanted to think about bringing an arena football team, an indoor football team, to the Bay Area and playing it at Oracle. And um, so we spent a lot of time chatting and talking about it, and we, in fact, put a contract together to get it done. And then, you know, at that point in time, Roy said, gee, Scott, I need somebody to run this for me. Uh, would you be interested in in taking the president's job? And uh, by that time, he had already recruited Marshawn, who had great Oakland ties. And um, and so I said, yeah, I, w- I would very much like to do that. And so uh, I did, and here I am today. So that's that's pretty much the story.
1: Well, we very much appreciate you being a part of the Panthers and, of course, being a guest here on the pod. Now, you mentioned one of the co-owners in Marshawn Lynch. He's been in the news recently for joining – the Seattle Kraken, as a part of their minority ownership. Uh, But he also had a fantastic promotion at the game last night, a bobblehead that was given out to a few thousand fans. And I'm just wondering what fans can expect coming up, aside from the obvious amazing environment it is to watch a football game at SAP. What are some of the promotions, some of the things you guys have in the works coming up for the remaining five home games this season?
0: Well, the biggest and the best thing we have is that we will play our games on Saturday nights from here on out. Um, You know, we have faced the challenge of going through the completion of the Sharks hockey season, and it made it virtually impossible for us to be able to land a Saturday night game uh, because of the protection of the schedule for the Sharks, which we understood going in. And the sharks have been wonderful, wonderful partners of ours. Jonathan Becker and his crew over there have been terrific to work with. Um, but that's made—it's made it challenging uh, for you know Monday night. You know, it's got some uniqueness about it with Monday night football, but it's a—it's a harder draw. Uh, we had the bobblehead night. We had the T-shirt giveaway night, uh, which was sponsored by our presenting partner, Mary West Credit Union. Uh, we've had military appreciation night, and we will continue to reach out to community groups and community kinds of causes throughout the season. But, but one of the big things is now we're into the heart of the season, the real meat and potatoes of the year. We play on Saturdays, and, um, and I think that's going to prove to be a, a real advantage for us in terms of the fans and ticket sales.
1: You mentioned some of those efforts in terms of giving back to the community and obviously sort of rebranding, like you mentioned earlier, from Oakland to all of the Bay Area. What are some of those things that you guys have gotten involved in in terms of giving back to the community and making sure that it's maybe not just centered on you know South Bay or East Bay in particular? What have you done to try and effort those community service and uh, try and giving back to the to the community that is going to be supporting you for the remainder of the season?
0: A lot of focus on youth groups um, if you look into our building over in the corner we have an area called the Panther pit and this is a designated area of about a hundred to hundred and twenty seats that are for youth groups and for those of the underserved community to be able to come into the building for free watch the game enjoy everything that the game has to offer uh, we have been involved in the food bank. Um, we have been involved in youth football programs and youth sports. So youth, the underserved, the areas um, of the elderly and folks that are in disabled positions where they need help and assistance, uh, we're trying to branch out. Now, keeping in mind, we are a small staff. We, we we can't do things at the level that you know the National Football League teams can do, but we're very selectively picking and choosing the kinds of community activists in situations where we can be involved uh, and help make the community a better place to live and work. And at the same time, bring our brand to these people, let them know who we are. You know, the biggest challenge in a startup like this is just simply getting people to know who you are. Um, And it's amazing to me when somebody will say to me, well, who are the Panthers? And I think to myself, you know, all the radio and television and newspaper and digital and social media advertising we've done, and there's still people who want to know who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that takes time. That takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's an exercise and a little bit of patience.
1: Well, I can say from personal experience, having watched a couple of these games, my love for the Panthers, as well as the brand of football you guys have been putting on the field, I have fallen in love with seemingly overnight just because of how exciting it is, how entertaining it is, and how respectful of a product it has been as well. I think you guys have represented the organization well, both on and off the field with how the team as well as the staff and, of course, the front office, like yourself, has conducted itself. Uh, Scott McKibben, president of the Barrier Panthers, we really appreciate you joining us here on Episode 6 of the Barrier Panthers pod. You've let us in and peeled back the curtain a little bit to what goes on in terms of your position, your background, and what we can hope to see for the remainder of this season with the Barrier Panthers. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, thank you kindly and have a good day.
1: And that was Scott McKibben, Barrier Panthers president, joining us here on episode six of the Barrier Panthers pod. Evan Giddings, now pleased to be joined by my broadcast partner, Mark Grandy. And before we get to the reaction to that interview, a lot to dive into with Scott over you know a, a multitude of, of subjects. But first, I, I want to talk about the game that, that happened on Monday night because it's tough to, I think, look at a lot of these scores and initially see positives, but... You know, on a surface level, season high, 46 points for the Panthers. We saw them at times look dominant both offensively and defensively, as well as get some additions, really, from special teams. So it's a game in which a few plays, I think, determined the final trajectory, especially the the one we saw in the second half with Bismarck from the 33-second mark Towards the end of that second quarter, scoring 45 points to the Panthers' 15, but there was a lot to like. I thought from the from the team that kind of got washed away by the final score, um, a team that got healthy a little bit this week, that saw the ball be able to at least move or, move a little bit more easily throughout the air on the ground. Um, there was a lot of a lot more explosive plays consistently, which is what you need to have in the IFL. So overall, not a great win. Or sorry, not a great loss, you know, th- or thirty-point loss, but some still some good things to take away, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I think certainly, and, and you could probably make that case for for every game that uh, the Panthers have played so far this year. Specifically, this one again, it was that seventy-six to forty-six loss to the Bismarck Bucks. Uh, it was a game that was close. The final minute of the first half, thirty-one to thirty-one, before the Bucks scored twice in the final thirty seconds of the second half or of the first half, excuse me, just a, a wild game from beginning to end, but especially in that second quarter, Evan, you look at the second quarter box score by itself. I mean, you have a box score that we've seen as a final score around the IFL this year, not often, but it has been around that total. The second core, second quarter, Evan was 28 to 14 Bismarck. They scored 28 points in the second quarter. And again, Half of them came in the final 30 seconds of that second half uh, of the second quarter. Excuse me. It it was a wild game. But you, you think of 76 points and 46 points and these astronomical numbers, you look at the total offense numbers and it's kind of strange. Only 221 yards of total offense for Bismarck now in the IFL that's. That's more you kind of have to retrain your brain and, and, you know, think about these numbers differently because you're playing on a 50 yard field versus a 100 yard field like the the NFL or or college football or even, you know, the the CFL up in Canada. But 221 yards of total offense for Bismarck, 153 uh, for the Panthers. So not terribly lopsided in the total yards numbers, and then you add in the fact that Bismarck ran eight more plays than the Panthers. You're really not that far off on a yards per play um, average. Uh, the Panthers are. So how do you get that 30 point, you know, deficit and the final score, the margin of victory for the bucks. And I think Evan, it comes down to turnovers and play at the end of end of quarters and end of halves. And I think that's what this game came down to. You take out, some of those bigger mistakes, we saw three interceptions thrown by the Panthers. Um, they missed some opportunities, scoring points early. They had to settle for a field goal. Um, those turnovers came in key moments. They led to points for the Bucks almost immediately. You can't just wipe away all mistakes and, and say play the what-if game. But if you take away those mistakes, you can see why some of the overall yardage numbers are not nearly as bad as you might think a 30-point loss would be. So I think you look at—you at, dive into the box score a little bit more. You know, you don't focus on the box score, just the scores by quarter. You you dive into how the actual—the game happened with, with yards, through the air, and on the ground. And you can kind of see that this game was a little bit closer there. And I'm sure in addition to the issues and trying to fix the turnovers and the interceptions— the coach, coaching staff, led by Kurt Bryan and company, are also trying to find these positives. And I think if you look hard enough, you can find them. Well, I think there, there's a couple of things
1: that I've learned over the past five weeks. Still, you know, relatively early in the season, about a third of the way through. Still five more home games left at SAP Center. The majority of them, as Scott mentioned during the interview, will be coming on Saturday. So an opportunity for a lot of families to get out there and enjoy some affordable fun on the weekend successively on days where they can plan as opposed to the Panthers who have been sort of playing on Monday and then they have a short week where they're playing on Saturday. This week they play on Friday, so they really don't have much time to get ready for their next opponent, the Sioux Falls Storms, and then they have a little bit of a longer week after, so some more preparation. It's been kind of a, a clunky start to the season, both in the record as well as the schedule. But a couple of things that that I've noticed is First off, there's just not much room for error with this team right now. And part of that has to do with some injuries that they suffered at the beginning of the season. So they've already had a dwindled depth chart to start. But just based on, you know, what we've seen from other teams compared to what we've seen from the Panthers, it seems like Bay Area's mistakes have hurt them more than the mistakes of the other teams. I mean, just take a look, for example, at Bismarck. They actually led the entire game in terms of total penalties, 97 yards, but they were sort of strategically taken, whether it's a 15-yard penalty to make sure that a guy doesn't get loose and get deep in order to, to, you know, walk in for a touchdown, whereas the Panthers, they had 10 total penalties, you know, a little bit more than, than the six for 65 yards, but they would come on a third down. It would be you know we 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 saw a couple weeks ago at SAP Center an illegal defense sort of more of a mental than physical mistake with not having your hand in the dirt out the defensive line position or a, a linebacker not being in that belt area or moving in motion before the snap when he shouldn't be and that play you know perhaps turns into a, an, an interception or a negative play for the offense that they basically get bailed out of because the Panthers have made some mistakes so we've learned that with you know they stepped up offensively scored 46 points a season high i thought they looked at times you know very good but they just don't have much room for error and i i don't think it's any coincidence that the two interceptions that we saw one in the first half one in the second both led to you know essentially 14 o runs by the opposing team the bucks as well as other teams in the ifl has have really fed off of the mistakes the physical mistakes more so than the mental mistakes that the panthers have given them and so when you're already you know kind of behind to begin with and teams can sort of sense that they can take advantage of what you're doing because you're there's some self-inflicting wounds that the panthers have you just you can't turn the ball over and you know we The 14-0 run with with 30 seconds left in that first half was off of an interception at your own five yard line, and you could argue, okay, well maybe you should run the ball, maybe you should, but in a turnover in that situation, just simply cannot happen. I'm sure that the coaching staff of the Panthers would tell you the exact same thing, and they're obviously not trying to give the ball back. But when you set up a Bismarck Bucks team, a veteran group in plus territory, they are. 99% 99% of the the time going to take full advantage of that. And so I think we've learned over these past couple of games just how small the margin of error is. And until they get healthy, until they get fully healthy, until they gain more of a rhythm, gain more of a chemistry, which is understandably difficult to do in their inaugural season, I think we're going to see more of those mistakes turn into points for their opponents.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, we can, you know, nitpick certain moments here or there. I mean, of course, you're right. You don't want to turn that ball over in that situation. The Bucks just scored a touchdown to take the lead again late in the first half. You're deep in your own territory. You take a chance by throwing the ball. It's picked off. We can nitpick that all you want, but it you know hindsight's 2020 20. It, it's 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 very easy for us now to to come back and say well they should have just ran the ball given given the ball off to Dwayne Gary the running back maybe bring in Joe Newman let him run maybe he can break something with with his legs because he's certainly shown the ability to do that and he did it last night with a uh, or on Monday night with a long touchdown run um but you know with that aside i you know your s- simple point stands you, you just can't turn turn the ball over as often as the Panthers have. I mean, coming into this game, their turnover margin was negative eight. They turned the ball over eight more times than they forced turnovers. They were negative two on Monday night against the Bucs, so they're now down to negative 10 in the turnover differential this year. No matter how good you are in the other phases of the game, you're not going to win many games when you're consistently losing the turnover battle by two a game. They've played five games, 10 They've they've committed ten more turnovers than they forced. That's about two a game. So it's it's really really difficult uh, to try to win games like that. The positive is the defense. Despite giving up seventy six points, they did force that huge turnover late in the first half. A really big hit by Khalil Young forced the ball free from Jayru Campbell, who was hurt on the play and did not play the rest of the game. We certainly hope he is all right, but. A great play by Khalil Young, and it was scooped up and and ran into the end zone by Jeffrey Allison, immediately turning it into points. So on one side of the ball, you do see a turnover being forced, but then, as you just mentioned, literally moments later, the offense gives that ball right back, and it turns into seven points for the Bucks, really making that that defensive play all for nothing. And you know, I'm I'm not here saying that it's the offense's fault, and, and the defense was blameless because. I mean, the defense gave up 76 points, and part of that was because of special teams and some issues defending, you know, kickoff returns. But there, there is blame to go. I think all around at this point in time. But, but, but still, um, the, the biggest issue I think is these turnovers, and they get those the those figured out, Evan, and the t- the season's going to turn around a little bit because, as we've talked about really through the last few weeks here on the uh, Bay Area Panthers pod. The, the margins of victory, I, I think I think you'll agree with this. The margins of, of defeat, I guess I should say, for the Panthers, it, it's it been a little bit misleading. I think this team has been a little bit closer than the final scores might suggest. Think back to a couple of weeks ago against Vegas. I mean, that was a really tight game at halftime. They lose 53-27. They were in it in the third quarter in Duke City. Remember that moment when they were down by nine in the third? They had the Gladiators with the fourth and nine. And they almost get an interception later on that drive, and then things begin to spiral out of control. And then here this week against Bismarck, they were tied with under a minute to go in the first half, and they ultimately lose by thirty points. So obviously, you can't just you know split a game in half and say, well, they were in it at, ha- at halftime. They're they're a better team than they're showing, but you know the the moments are there, and I think it's what Coach Kurt Bryan told us last week. Evan is we've played good quarters, we've played good halves of football, but we have yet to play a good full game of football. That's, that's, you know, next on the, on the checklist, the to-do list for the Panthers. It's playing a full game of maybe not completely mistake-free football, but at least where you're limiting those to one, two at the most of those big mistakes and not just turnovers, just the penalties, like you mentioned, a, a tough, um, you know, late hit against a quarterback that extends the drive um, things like that, so uh, I think that's what's next for Bay Area.
1: Well, and by no means am I trying to to nitpick, it, it, you know, a, a play call saying you should have thrown or you should have ran. You know, at, at this point, you kind of look at each individual mistake, and it's sort of a microcosm for for the bigger issues that we're talking about at this yeah. point. Um, you know, the the biggest discrepancy, obviously, yesterday was was in the passing game, one forty nine to sixty two in terms of total yardage. Three interceptions by Panthers quarterbacks, five t- five touchdowns with no interceptions for the Bismarck Bucks, who included their starter, J. Rue Campbell, and then to Taj Tolbert, who came in after you-, you talked about Campbell getting hurt. Tolbert was impressive, by the way. Well, he, he was uh, the IFL player of the week in week one. I mean, that, that just shows how good J. Rue Campbell was to beat him out to get that spot and then run with it p- for the past three weeks, but literally and figuratively.
2: Yeah, and literally half a football, Taj Tolbert, 74 passing yards and three touchdowns. I mean, I mean, he has great weapons to throw to, as does Campbell, obviously, both quarterbacks. But uh, they put on a display passing the ball deep down the field.
1: No, absolutely. And, and look, it's a game that demands you to be good in all three phases because, as we've discussed both with head coach Kurt Bryan and with Scott McKibben, you know it's it's a game in which you kind of feed off of the other phases and what you're doing if you have a long kick return that's going to set you up in good territory that presents, you know, not a difficult drive for the offense if your offense can't get going you put your defense in a compromising position and so that's why the mistakes i think have hurt the panthers so much is because they they haven't yet as as we discussed they haven't really been able to build a quarter off of each other they'll have a big defensive play and then come out and, you know, it'll be a tough special teams coverage. Or they'll come out, score, the defense will give up a big play then the offense will turn it over. Or a penalty will come at a poor time. So, you know, and don't get me wrong, the Bismarck Bucks are are a good team. They are a quality football team. I think one of the best in the IFL based on the games that they have played this season. And of course, the one that we saw last night, they've been in Close ball games with every single team, including the Massachusetts Pirates or the defending champs.
2: Yeah, they're up to number six in the latest coaches poll. Week six coaches poll is out. The Bucks are up to number six, so they're up a couple of spots as well. So I think I certainly agree with you. The one of the one of the better teams in the IFL. Switching gears a little bit to
1: the the interview we recorded earlier with with Scott McKibben, and um, he, he had obviously a lot to say. President, he oversees. The majority of the operations, both on and off the field, this is a guy with you know decades worth of experience in the media as well as in sports. He's worked in in various areas around the um, around sports in general, and but a couple of things that I, I took away that I thought were interesting. First, revolving around recruiting, he talked about recruiting as being similar, almost to recruiting a college kid, because you're trying to sell. This idea of the team itself, the competitiveness, but also the things that come along with it. You know, in college, you're selling academics, you're selling the, the chance to set yourself up for the future. And that kind of is what it sounded like McKibben was talking about how they try and sell the Panthers to the guys that they're bringing on. You know, first season, it's going to get easier, hopefully, as they build up their brand, um, as they continue to move forward as a franchise. But the idea that you can come to the Bay Area, and I don't know if, you know, there's a lot of local guys, but guys from around the country see the Bay Area as as a place that is, you know, luxurious, a place that you want to be in, and a place of opportunity, most importantly, both on the field and off the field. And so I, I just thought it was really cool that Scott was discussing the advantages, both athletically for these guys to be able to further their careers to compete, he discussed the fact that, you know, sometimes guys don't move up. Well, we've already seen one guy do that, and Jeremy Hickey move wow. up to the Canadian Football League in Ottawa. So, obviously, there's a chance for you to springboard your career, but then also to be in San Jose. I know the guys are kind of stationed more a little bit outwards um, east, but still in a, in a hub that is, you know, just brimming with with opportunity Off the field, so you get a chance to kind of explore, learn a little bit about yourself, and learn what type of opportunities there are for you for potential employment down the line if football doesn't work out. I thought it was really cool. Well, yeah, I agree.
2: And I mean, I think it's super interesting how, you know, a team, you know, in this unique position, you know, a football team, a new football team in the IFL trying to make a name for itself. And of course, you have to be aware of, you know, your surroundings and your environment. And the question you're asking yourself when you're looking to convince players to sign with you, it's, well, what can I offer these players that other franchises can't? And I think the Panthers have found exactly what that is. And it's, you know, no offense to any of the other cities that, you know, that currently have an IFL football team, but there is not another one like San Jose and and the greater Bay area in general, who knows? I mean, you could have a family, you know, come out to watch a Bay area Panthers game. And, you know, the, the father or the mother is, you know, in tech or, or whatever it is and their kids fall in love with the sport, maybe a specific player, the, the player retires and, and who, who knows what could happen? I mean, it could be just some happenstance meeting. It could be, you know, just someone enjoying watching them play football. And they, they give them a ring, they reach out to them on social media somehow, and they find out that their interests align and one thing leads to another and you never know what could come next. So I think that's something as, you know, Scott McKibben told us that, that they are trying to sell to these players, which I think is, is really interesting and really cool. And I think as, you know, time moves on and as seasons move, move along and you, This is, uh, you know, a team that's looking at their second year in the league, their third year, fourth year, fifth year. That's going to be something that eventually gets out and spreads. And it's it's not going to be nearly as much on the Panthers to sell themselves, but it's going to be past players selling their experience to, you know their own, you know, there are other players, their friends that that they've played with growing up and players that are, you know, behind them coming out of college that might not get a chance in the NFL or in the CFL and are looking for an opportunity. Word is going to get out and and it's going to spread around. So it's super difficult now, not necessarily to sell that to individual players, but just to have a wide enough audience that you're able to reach and take you seriously. But once, you know, a number of years go on and you have this word of mouth and you have players that have been in your franchise saying, like, yeah, I mean, they told me this. I wasn't really sure to believe them, but, you know, I got this opportunity the next year or something like that. That's going to be something that years down the line, I think, is going to start paying dividends. It's just a matter of being patient. And I think what Scott said is, you know, we want to win and we want to win now, but we know that we have to be patient. And, I think, you know, you know, he told us that they they're aware of it, but it's going to take a bit of time. But I'm pretty confident that's going to happen.
1: And that seemed to be sort of a running theme throughout the interview, this idea of the long term vision that they have for this franchise. And look, they've already been under you know underway for a couple of years, though. This is the first season the franchise was founded in 2020. They've had to make adjustments you know we we discussed the fact that they rebranded from Oakland to San Jose they had to move venues that was just something that had to happen in order for the franchise to be as successful as possible and so that i think that kind of intertwines with their recruiting pitch is look the team right now may not be on paper in terms of wins and losses where they hope to be but what you can accomplish with the panthers is good individually and then once they have enough you know talent and enough guys to like you said spread the word then you begin to get the ball moving because another thing that he mentioned i believe on the broadcast last night when he was doing his tv interview as well as the one here on the pod just the fact that a you know, football especially ifl with so few guys on the field and such a small field with only being 50 yards you really need to have good chemistry, you really need to have an idea and and trust in the guy next to you. And that's just really difficult to build when you've only played five games together. And for a couple of these guys who've missed two or three games, it's even more difficult. So there hasn't been a lot of chance for the organic chemistry, which we saw last night from a Bismarck Bucks team that has a couple of players with over a decade's worth of experience in the IFL. That's not something that you can really quantify and not something that you can really just go out and acquire if you, you know, go and bring in a new player. It's something that you need to build. And so hopefully it sounds like they're they're trying to, you know, align the recruiting pitch with the vision they have for this team being a staple in the IFL as well as being a staple in terms of football and, you know, an alternative to the other professional organizations around the area, both NFL and then, of course, in the amateur level in terms of college. To be kind of that middle ground to offer football during the summer, to offer competitive football, and offer a place where guys can grow as athletes as well as people. And it, it just it sounds on. I mean, to me, the the pitch is is fantastic. But like you said, it's going to take time. And the matter of you know the matter of fact is just how much patience can you have? I think yeah. that's the biggest question that they're going to need to answer.
2: Well, I think you know I agree with everything you just said, but I think I also want to take a moment just. I can't even fathom where you start your recruiting process. I mean, you know, you you think about how college coaches recruit, and, okay, well, you're just looking at the best high school players. And, you know, you, you don't really recruit much in the NFL. I mean, you're just drafting the best college players. Like, there's obviously a lot of work that goes into that and identifying who is the best, but, you know, you have a finite number of selections, you know, people that were in college and, you know, every once in a while, you know, you have a guy, you know, from Europe that, that plays and makes the NFL and maybe he doesn't get drafted, you know, whatever. It doesn't happen all that often in the NFL. happens more in, you know, in the NBA and, and in, in in baseball. But in the IFL where you are, you know, not the the top organization in your sport, you have so many places to pull from. You're pulling from collegiate players that didn't get drafted to the IFL or to the NFL. Excuse me. You're you're pulling from NFL players or NFL guys that, you know, are on rosters but get cut and and don't make another roster. You're pulling from same thing with the C- uh, CFL. You're playing you're pulling from the stars of some of the lesser indoor or arena football leagues. I think I just want to take a minute just to absolutely commend all of the coaches in the IFL for I don't know how you even go about trying to recruit players because it just seems like such an incredible task to even begin to accomplish. Like I don't know where I'd begin, and I, I would. It would never end. Like there's literally no way you could ever feel like you are done, because as we've talked about, you have players move on. I mean, Jeremy Hickey signed to play with the Ottawa Redblacks in the CFL just this last week. That means your team, Kurt Bryan, and the rest of the coaching staff have to go out and identify another player that they want on their team. And of course, you know, they had players in their camp, uh, you know, in the preseason that didn't make the roster. They There's probably, you know, a group of guys that they like to pick from in the beginning. And, you know, I'm sure in coaching circles in the IFL, you know, there are players that everyone knows that aren't on rosters that might be, you know, the first selection. But just the idea of of recruiting an endless supply, recruiting from an endless supply of players is just an incredibly difficult task. I can't even wrap my mind around it. Well, we'll
1: see how they are able to juggle that, both the coaching staff as well as the front office throughout the rest of the season. Again, five more opportunities to see the Bay Area Panthers at the SAP Center at home. They are currently 1-4, and four, but a lot of games left to move on in the season and we are looking forward to bringing those to you every single game on 95.7 the game the next game you can catch over the airwaves will be on friday a 505 kick here local time where they play at sioux falls and then they'll be back home at sap center sunday may 1st that is a 505 kick against the northern arizona wranglers we'll have all these on 95.7 the game you can catch them and uh you know we also a great opportunity to come out and see some amazing promotions i mean last night Marshawn Lynch bobblehead giveaway. Pretty great bobblehead. It was pretty detailed. I was pleasantly surprised by the product. Really good. And yeah. there's been giveaways at every single home game. T shirt on opening night, a lot of collectibles for fans that want to be a part of, you know, the affordable family fund that is the Bay Area Panthers. You know, there's group tickets. Um, there's opportunities for for those that, you know, can't afford them to Scott was talking about their community efforts, targeting kids to bring them out to games, to have them experience the indoor football league and, and the Panthers experience. So a lot of great things going on. And be sure to, you know, obviously, if you're at this point of the podcast, you have listened, hopefully, to the entire interview with Scott McKibben, president of the Bay Area Panthers. Go back and listen to it again. But episode six, that'll do it for us. Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings. We'll be coming to you every single week with a new episode. And hopefully the Panthers can get back on track just before the weekend. Again, a Friday kick on uh, April 22nd, 5.05 against the Sioux Falls Storms before returning home on May 1st against the Northern Arizona Wranglers. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find every single episode on the Odyssey Podcast Network under 95.7 The Game. And uh, we'll talk to you next time, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bay Area Panthers Pod, part of the 95.7 The Game podcast network.